Hey, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, if you open them up, we're going to be starting a new series uh, this morning. We're going to be starting a series through the book of John. We've been in the book of Exodus for quite some time, uh, and we felt that it was time for us to exit Exodus uh, and move into the New Testament and see the life of Jesus as told to us by the Apostle John. So this morning, we're going to be starting a new series through the book of John. Uh, but before we dive into that, uh, we just want to say hello to Pastor Dave uh, and Kim. Uh, they are at the Journey Church right now in Damascus. They are uh, teaching over there, but I know they're going to be watching later on Facebook. So uh, can we just give a big, we love you, Pastor Dave, uh, in three, two, one. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. He didn't ask for that. He's going to give me a hard time for actually doing that. Um, so that's good. Well, hey, before, uh, before I have you guys turn to John chapter 1, you guys could turn to John chapter 1 if you want to right now. But before we dive into it, uh, I've got a little bit of a story uh, for you. I heard this actually uh, this, this weekend uh, as I was doing some, some final preparation for this morning's message. And uh, it kind of resonated with me. And, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to share this story. I think it's a good story. How many of y'all are familiar with Ernest Hemingway, a uh, great American writer? Um, I didn't know this about him, but he had four wives and many mistresses, so probably not the greatest moral character. Uh, but it is said, there's a legend or, or, or urban myth or, or a story told about one of his wives uh, that she absolutely could not stand Ernest Hemingway's writing. She just thought he was a terrible writer. She, she read a couple books and didn't like it at all, uh, and so she was like, whatever. But one day, she's at this cafe, uh, and in the cafe, she meets this guy, and, and, and they start sparking up this conversation, and they're having a good time. She thinks he's funny. She thinks he's cute. And so they're talking. They're having a good time. And then after about four or five times doing this in this cafe, uh, she realizes, oh, my gosh, this is Ernest Hemingway. And uh, they fell in love, they got married, uh, and she began to get to know who he was. And the moral of that story is, uh, sometimes when we see something or we read something, uh, we might not, it might not click with us until we get to know the author. Uh, and so today, before we dive into the book of John, we're going to get to know the author uh, of this gospel. Uh, luckily, it's in the title of it, uh, The Gospel According to John. Uh, and so we're going to get to know this morning who John is. And so uh, it's, it's one of my favorite things to do. Whenever we start a new sermon series here at Hillside, I get the honor uh, to do the introduction to the series, the introduction to the book of the Bible. Uh, for me, it's one of my favorite things to do is to study uh, and, and to research things historically. That's what my degree is in. Uh, and I just love history. And so if you don't like history today, uh, buckle your seatbelts. We're going to do a little bit of history. I promise there's going to be some application at the end of it because as you're going to see at the end, and I'm going to highlight on this, when we come to church, we don't want to get information, right? Information is good, but when we come to church, we don't want information. We want revelation. We want God to reveal something to us. And we just don't want revelation like God revealing us something. We're like, oh my goodness, okay, revealed. We want revelation that leads to transformation. We want what God reveals to us through his word to transform us from the inside out. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would allow even the history to transform us from the inside out. So would you just bow your heads and pray with me one more time? Dear God, we just thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that your word is perfect. Your word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. God, your word cuts through the bone and the marrow to the soul and the spirit to reveal to us the motives and the intents of our heart. God, I pray that this morning as we all came here from different walks of life, from different backgrounds, all of our heart conditions are in different places. God, we pray that this morning you, by your Holy Spirit, would pierce our heart. And God, you would reveal to us the motives and the intent of our heart. And God, you would replace our motives with 
your thoughts, God. You'd replace uh, our desires with your will and with your desire. And God, we want to be transformed by you. We want to be uh, your people doing your work. And so, God, we just pray that you, by the Holy Spirit, would reveal truth to us through your word. Your word tells us that it is God-breathed and that it is profitable for doctrine. Uh, it's profitable for teaching and for reproof. And so, God, we just pray that this morning you'd speak to us, you'd encourage us, you'd inspire us, uh, God, and that we would be challenged by your word. God, I pray that this morning anything that would be of me, God, may it fall on deaf ears. Uh, God, I don't want any of Matt's words to come through, but, God, we want your perfect word. And so, God, uh, I just ask that you would speak through me and the word that you've given, uh, and, God, your will be done. So we just thank you, we praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said Amen. Amen. So this morning we're going to look at the background uh, of the gospel according to St. John. Uh, I put St. John in there only because uh, I uh, tend to like old Christian art. Uh, and a lot of old Christian art, they refer to the, to the four evangelists as saints. God's word tells us we're all saints, okay? So, so we're not elevating some above others. In God's kingdom, we are all saints. Uh, but just because I like the, the old pictures, and since I'm teaching this morning, and since we're, I like history, we're going to call him St. John. Uh, and if you want to, after service, you can come up and say, thank you, St. Matthew. And I'll say <laughs> thank you to you, St. as well. Um, so don't get hung up on St. We're talking about the gospel according to John. And I think the first question we want to ask ourselves this morning is, who is John the Apostle? Who is John? Uh, we know from his gospel uh, that he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, notice how Mark, Luke, and Matthew don't refer to John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's John who refers to himself that way. Uh, I, I love this about John. Um, another fun thing about John that we see is when Jesus rises from the dead uh, and Mary comes and, and they're knocking on the door and Peter opens the door and, and, and Mary says, he's risen, he's risen. John tells us that Peter takes off running and that John follows him. But then he follows it up in the next verse by saying, John arrived and Peter then short after. Um, John's kind of throwing some blows at Peter saying, yeah, you left first, but I'm faster. John likes to do this kind of thing throughout his gospel. But John is an amazing uh, young man uh, in the Living Bible. How many of y'all have a living translation of the Bible? Uh, in the Living Bible, uh, it doesn't say the disciple whom Jesus loved. It says Jesus' best friend. That's so cool to me uh, that John is referred to as Jesus' best friend. How many of y'all have a best friend in the room? And we like to be close to our best friends. And uh, I've heard it said one way, if your best friend was a chef uh, and, and, and you asked your best friend for all his recipes and your best friend would reveal them slowly to you, give you a little bit here and there, uh, you begin to really appreciate the food that you were eating. Uh, and that's what John was doing with his best friend, Jesus. He was asking more about, Jesus, what are you saying? And Jesus would give him little ingredients here and there. And he revealed truth to John and then John was passing it on to the church. The Gospel of John is different uh, than the other Gospels, and we'll talk about that in just a second, but I want to just dive in a little bit more to who this guy, this, this disciple whom Jesus loved, really is. You see, when I was growing up and when I was hearing about all the different disciples, uh, I saw them as flannel graph people on a sky blue flannel graph uh, board in kids' church, right? And all the disciples had gigantic white beards. Right? And so I grew up thinking disciples were old people. Uh, no hard words there, but I just grew up thinking disciples were like in their 80s, and then uh, they didn't have really much to offer me. Uh, that, that was child in that. Uh, but then I learned uh, some things about the disciples. They were a wide spectrum of ages. 
Uh, and it just so happens that John was probably, according to history and according to church tradition, John was probably the youngest of the disciples. Uh, it, it is speculated, and you know, we can dissect it from some of the early church documents, that John, at the time of the beginning of Jesus' ministry, John is probably only 14 years old. Any 14-year-olds in here? All right, I see a 14-year-old. That's what's up. So John starts his following of Jesus' ministry at your age. I think this is amazing because this tells us something about us as 21st century uh, Christians. Uh, it means you don't have to be an adult to follow Jesus. You can be a teenager. You can start your walk with Jesus as a teenager. And so I want to encourage you, if you're a parent of teens, it's never too early to keep giving them Jesus. And bring them to church. Bring them to youth group. Because John is a great example. Amen. Is the, uh, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, a 14-year-old kid. John was one of two brothers uh, who followed Jesus. They were the sons of Zebedee. It was he and his brother James. Uh, James is not the author of the book of James. That James is Jesus' brother. But John's brother James, uh, as church history would tell us, uh, directly following the events of Acts chapter 2, they cast lots where they're going to go into the world and, and where they're going to be missionaries. And John, uh, John's older brother James, gets Spain. So he goes to first century Spain, establishes the church in first century Spain. Then he comes back, and as we see in the book of Acts, he is then beheaded by Herod, uh, and that's the end of James. But John continues on. Uh, and, and John and James, their dad was Zebedee. He was a great fisherman. Uh, and his wife was a woman by the name of Salome. Now, Salome, we see in the Gospels, it just so happens that Salome has a sister. And Salome's sister is Mary, the mother of Jesus. So check this out. James and John are actually Jesus' cousins. Which, that actually connects them to another biblical character that we're going to see in John chapter 1. They were John the Baptist's cousins as well. So we're beginning to see this tight-knit group of guys. It would make sense why John would be Jesus' best friend. He's his little cousin. How many of y'all got a little cousin who you just like adore? I got a little cousin who I adore. He's not very little. He's like 25. Uh, but he's a great guy, and I love him. And he rolls uh, in the same circles that I do. And so John and his brother James, they're related to Jesus. Their mom is Salome. But they're not always referred to as the sons of Zebedee. They're actually referred to mostly as the sons of thunder. That's like the coolest nickname I've ever heard. Uh, I, I wish they called me and my brother the Sons of Thunder uh, back in high school. We would have just ran the joint. It would have been awesome. Uh, but John and James were the Sons of Thunder. They were known for being guys uh, who were pretty soft-mannered, soft-spoken. But when it was time to really like hunker down, these guys were fiery. At one point, uh, Jesus and the disciples, they're, they're doing some ministry, and they're not accepted in this town. And John and James go before Jesus and say, let's Sodom and Gomorrah this town. Like, make it rain fire because they don't accept you. These guys were very thundery, uh, and it didn't just stop when John matured and got older. Church history would tell us that as John got older, that thunderiness and that fieriness, it increased. Uh, there was a time uh, in, the, in the latter part of the first century where John went to a bathhouse with some of his disciples. Uh, and, and in this bathhouse was a guy by the name of Serentheus. Now, you don't have to remember that. That's not going to be on the homework assignment. But Serentius was a Gnostic. He was a false teacher. And John in this bathhouse, so like first century Planet Fitness, John goes in and he sees Serentius there on the treadmill. 
And uh, he's like, oh my goodness, Serentius is here. That's no good. John makes a huge stink. He starts yelling, like, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here, lest the Lord bring this building down on this heathen and heretic. And so John was making it very clear in a very boisterous way. He didn't entertain false teachers. He was all about truth. But there's some other things that can be said about John uh, that we're going to get to a little bit later on. Before we do that, and, and, and lest we linger on this question, who was the Apostle John? I want to jump to the next question. And the next question is this. When did John write? When did John write? Because not only did John write the gospel, but we have three letters that he wrote. First, second, and third John. Really creative. And then uh, he writes the revelation of Jesus Christ. It should be at the back of your Bible. If it's not, we should talk after service because... Uh, you need to get a new Bible. Uh, but, but John wrote some amazing things. And when did John write? Historically, there's two views on when John wrote. Uh, there's one camp that believes John was writing in the 60s, around 64 to 67 AD, around the same time that much of Peter and Paul's writings were being uh, finished. And there's another camp that believes that John wrote in the late 90s of, uh, of the first century, so like 95 to 101 AD. Uh, when it comes to the historical accuracy of these two accounts, there's really no historical uh, uh, artifacts or, 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 or uh, manuscripts that talk about John writing in the 60s. But the majority of the church fathers and the majority of the church historians of the first three centuries of the church, they all said John was writing in the latter part of the first century. So like the 90s all the way up until, as we know, traditionally, John died in 101 AD. So John lived for quite a while. He was an old guy, and he had a lot of wisdom. And, and, and we're going to, for the sake of our study, we're going to just take the latter half that John was writing, the latter half of the first century, because that's what the church tradition, and that's what the most reliable manuscripts would tell us. And so John is the last of the New Testament writers to write. Uh, and, and he's writing, um, first he reveals uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, tradition hold that, that. That was the first book he wrote. Then he wrote uh, Third John and Second John. Then he wrote the Gospel of John, and then the last book that was written in our New Testament canon traditionally is 1 John. So John is writing, he's like the last of the apostles, he's the last of the first century Christians writing to the church. So who did John write to? Who was John writing to? Well, to answer that question, it's pretty simple. John was writing to the church. He was writing to the church abroad. He was writing to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Uh, he, he had been the bishop and the elder of the church there in Ephesus. It was there in Ephesus uh, that he uh, and Jesus' mother Mary, they resided. If you remember, John uh, was there when Jesus was on the cross and Jesus said to his mother, hey, this is now your son, John, and John, I want you to look after my mom. And so Jesus, uh, Jesus' mom moves to Ephesus with John in the latter part of the first century. So he's not only writing to the church in Ephesus, he's not only writing to the seven churches of Asia Minor, but he's writing to the church abroad throughout the Roman Empire and beyond. And he's writing to you and I today. It is very important that we realize this. This is a historical document, uh, but it's not just for the historical people. This book is for us today. Uh, it is living and active. That means the message never changes, but the method in which it's delivered sometimes does, but the truth remains the same. So I want to encourage you guys with that, that John is writing this word to us today. So as we continue on, uh, as, as we look at the background according to John, what was the culture in which he was writing this gospel to? Uh, the culture was a culture of great persecution. Uh, the Christians were being persecuted by the Jews, uh, and in the latter part of the, of the first century, they were being persecuted heavily by the Roman Empire. John himself 
did much of his writing while in exile on the prison colony island of Patmos, uh, where he was exiled for his faith. You see, they tried to kill him, just like they killed all his other brothers and all the other disciples. They tried to kill him. They put him in the Circus Maximus, uh, which was this great uh, big place in Rome, and, and they sent some animals to try and kill him. We got lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, and they tried to kill John, but guess what? None of them would attack John. And it really made the leaders very frustrated. And so guys like Domitian, who was the emperor, he says, you know what? Uh, bring out a cauldron, fill it with oil. We're going to boil this guy alive. Doesn't sound very nice. Uh, and for oil to burn, uh, we're talking over 200 degrees Fahrenheit. This guy, I mean, this is hot. And they throw John alive in the boiling oil. But much to everyone's surprise, John doesn't boil. John doesn't even get burned. And there starts to be a murmur that's going on in the Circus Maximus, as tradition and legend would tell us. This murmur's going on. People are like, what is happening? This is crazy. What does John do? He starts singing hymns. Now people are really getting in the stir. And then John preaches the gospel. And as legend would tell us, John preaches the gospel, and that entire audience gives their heart to the Lord. Now, whether that's true or not, we don't know for certain. But it tells us a lot about the character of John. No matter what you did to him, he was going to speak the truth. And he was writing to a group of Christians who were facing great persecution. Remember how I said he's writing to us today. Christianity isn't popular today. And we need to be people who stand for truth and who say the things that are true in God's word. So what was John's purpose for writing this gospel? Uh, well, we don't have to speculate his purpose. He tells us what his purpose is. And it's John 20 verses 30 and 31, and if you want to write that down or turn your Bibles, you can do that. But the purpose of this gospel is this. He says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that believing you may have life and eternal life in his name. The purpose John wrote this book was to prove to us that Jesus is God. To prove to us that he is who he says he is. That he is not only the son of God, he is God. He is eternal. He's from the beginning. Um, textual criticists and, 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 and people who would like to criticize God's word uh, will tell you that Jesus never explicitly comes out and says, I am God. But if you were to turn to John 15, you'd see a portion of scripture where Jesus says, I am divine and you are the branches. <laughs> Okay, that, was, that didn't go over well. Uh, I, I told some folks in the back room, and uh, only Dennis laughed. Um, and he's laughing still. Come on, Pastor Dennis, thank you. Um, yeah. I didn't tell that one to my wife, and she normally helps me weed out the bad jokes. But, uh, man. Uh, so Jesus, Jesus is God, and John is revealing that to us through this. What was John's approach when he was writing this? John is referring to Jesus as the light of the world. He's the living water. He's the bread of life. He is our true tabernacle. John uses symbolism to show that Jesus is divine. And as Jesus begins his ministry, Jesus begins to do all these things, revealing where he is from and that he is from eternity and that he is God. So as we continue in the background of the gospel according to John, 
It should be mentioned that, that, that John wrote many things, uh, and, and, and much of it we have in Scripture. There are other things that John wrote that aren't in Scripture, but that have been preserved through historical manuscripts. So there's some really cool things. And, and the early church had compiled a lot of all of this into what had been known as Johannine literature, Johannine Christianity. It was the Christians who were really following uh, what John was teaching, because... At the time, in the first century, they didn't have a Bible leather-bound with all the pages glued in. They had letters that were being passed around. They had Gospels that were being passed around. And so, so you had groups that began to be like the followers of John who were reading all of John's Gospels and, and all of John's writings. They had Paul. They had Peter. But John was really the foundation of their theology and the way that he approached Jesus and the way he approached Christology and, and, and all these things. And so uh, we have this John... Uh, themed uh, Christianity there in the first century. And as historians look back at it, uh, many historians try to say that John was a Gnostic, that John was actually a false teacher, that John has some ooh, weird philosophy in it. But it wasn't until we found uh, in, in the 1940s uh, a library in Egypt called Nag Hammadi, which had a bunch of Gnostic texts in it. And we realized that John is in no way Gnostic, that Gnostics don't even pull their information from John, but that John is actually teaching a very uh, uh, down to the roots, uh, original Christianity, uh, the way that it was taught by Jesus to John. And so uh, let's just look real quickly uh, before we dive into the actual text. And before I give you just a few practical applications, I want to look at three more things. Uh, and that would be the early church's tradition on John. Uh, the early church tradition, we're just going to recap a lot of that. John was young. He was about a 14-year-old. Uh, John was uh, one of the disciples. And then John had several disciples. Uh, and, and the disciples of John of note were guys like uh, Polycarp, uh, guys like Papias, and guys like Ignatius. They were also very prolific writers in the first century, in the first part of the second century. And much of our Christian theology that we uh, live and believe today uh, was, was the foundations were being established by John and by John's disciples. And so I want to encourage you, if you're a nerd, if you like reading historical documents, go look at the Apostolic Fathers. Go look at Papias uh, of Heriopolis, uh, Polycarp, and Ignatius. They're amazing writers, and we can really begin to see the, the, the meat of what John is teaching in all of his literature. Um, we also know from the early church that John was a fighter. Uh, he didn't back down. Uh, but in his older life, uh, I like to refer to John as the Yoda apostle. Uh, John was the Yoda apostle. And the reason I say that, how many of you guys have seen Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones? Come on. Uh, if, if you're someone who doesn't like the prequels, I'm sorry. They're all right. Uh, but there's this scene where they're on Geonosis. And uh, Count Dooku is fighting Anakin uh, and Obi-Wan. Uh, and, and Anakin gets his arm cut off by Count Dooku and his lightsaber. And then Count Dooku uses the force to put a reactor on top of Anakin. And Anakin's trapped. And Obi-Wan's like trying to do his thing. But Dooku disarms Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan falls down. And Obi-Wan's all trapped. And it's like Dooku is going to win. This bad Sith Lord is going to win the day. But Yoda shows up. And you can see the shadow around the corner. And you hear this click click of a cane on the ground and it's this big shadow and then Yoda steps out and for those of you who don't know Star Wars Yoda's like this little like two and a half foot tall green alien with big ears and he's like 900 something years old uh, and so Yoda turns to the corner he's like oh, yeah. he's doing this whole thing and then out of nowhere Dooku's like okay Yoda yeah whatever Yoda drops his cane pulls out a lightsaber and starts doing the craziest acrobatic flips you've ever seen. He's bouncing off the walls. Anyone ever taken a Super Bowl in like a, a small hallway and just bounces as hard as you can? It's 
all over the place. That's Yoda doing all these flips. He's just disarming Count Dooku. He's doing all this crazy stuff. It's like a super amazing scene. And then when it's all over, Yoda sheathes his lightsaber, picks up his cane, and just walks out. It's like, oh my goodness. Well, John the Apostle was kind of like this because as we know from church tradition, John would travel all around Asia Minor. And he would gather humongous crowds of believers to come hear him speak. And John would walk up there, because John's like in his 90s, and he walks up, and he gets to the front of the place. He gets up there, and everyone's ready. And John sits down on his cane. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. <laughs> People travel hundreds of miles to hear John say five words. That's how powerful John was. So we're going to call him the Yoda disciple from now on. I think that's, uh, I think that's theologically correct. Uh, next, so we had the early church tradition. What was the medieval tradition of John? Well, the medieval tradition of John uh, is, is the early church tradition, but they began to depict, as they would uh, be very artistic in the way they would draw out and write their Bibles. Uh, and the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were all described uh, with these personifications. Matthew was described as a, as, as a man, and uh, you, you had Mark being described as a lion with wings, and you had uh, Luke being this ox with wings, and they're all showing different characteristics of Jesus. And John was depicted as an eagle. An eagle, because John, in his gospel, he takes things uh, to a higher level. He's not looking at the surface. He's not looking at the humanity of Christ and, and, and all the different aspects of the humanity of Christ. What John does is he takes us to the next level, and we're soaring above. We're getting this heavenly view of Jesus. We're seeing Jesus as eternal, as God. And so that is how John uh, is presented to us in medieval uh, theology. He, he is depicted as an eagle. So that would explain why we have this depiction of the eagle uh, with wings here. If that was confusing to anyone, hopefully that makes sense now. Uh, John was depicted as an eagle. Um, and then what I want us to do is, is for the modern church tradition, uh, on the more liberal side of scholarship uh, in the church, uh, they'd like to deconstruct John and say there was probably five or six different Johns that wrote all these things. Uh, there, there's no coherence among any of them. Uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that's false. Because when we look at uh, the similarities in his writing, when we look at the early church tradition, it's very clear that there was only one John, and it was a disciple whom Jesus loved. Amen? Amen. Okay, we're going to dive into Scripture this morning. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 5. How many of y'all are still awake? What? All right, all right, we got some. I love it. So John chapter 1, picking up in verse 1, you've probably heard it, you've probably maybe even memorized it. And this is what it says, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend Him. What I want us to do today is I want us to walk away with three distinct aspects of the nature of Jesus Christ as we're doing an introduction to this book, as we're taking a look at John's approach uh, to, to telling the life and the story of Jesus Christ. You see, at the time John is writing this, it's in the latter half of the first century. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already all been written. They've already all been circulated. People know the humanity and the miracles of God, but now there's beginning to be questions about the divinity of Jesus. Was Jesus actually divine? And what John is going to do under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is he's going to reveal the truth about Jesus' nature. 
when people are talking in theology, most of the time we only hear of the two genealogies of Jesus. We have Luke's genealogy and we have Matthew's genealogy. But actually, John has a genealogy of Jesus as well. And the genealogy is Jesus' ultimate beginnings. And what does it say? It says this, as the air conditioning blew my page away. It says, in the beginning was the word. So we know the genealogy of Jesus uh, is this. He was in the beginning. It doesn't say he was from the beginning. It says he was in the beginning. Uh, and he was with God. And he was God. There's going to be some groups within side the uh, wide spectrum of Christianity in air quotes that say Jesus is a created being. Uh, that was a heresy that was written out in the first century. A heresy that was condemned in the fourth century. And it's still a heresy today. Jesus wasn't created. It wasn't in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was a God. It's the word was God. Jesus is God. Jesus is divine. Um, the word here is the Greek word logos. We're being told that Jesus is the logos. Jesus is the eternal word of God. So the first thing that I want us to take away is from verses one and verses two. It's this Jesus as eternal. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is not just a man who found favor with God and then at his baptism was adopted as the son of God and the Holy Spirit came upon him as just a well-privileged man. Jesus is God. Yes, he's fully man, but he is also fully God. And uh, John was combating many heresies in the first century. Uh, there were many people going around uh, in, in believing a heresy that was known as adoptionist uh, heresy, which was this, that Jesus uh, was a human being. He was not God up until he was about 30. Then God came, dwelt in him. But then on the crucifixion, God left him uh, because God can't die. So, but a man can die. So Jesus died there on the cross and then God rose him again and then took him into eternity. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus is eternal. There were also those who said that Jesus uh, was not at all a man and that he was 100% divine and, and, and there was no man part about him, that Jesus was actually a spirit, that he was a phantom, that you could only think you're seeing him. And so Jesus never actually died on the cross. He was this invisible corporeal spirit that you only thought there was. But that's why John, when John writes 1 John, he says, we've heard him, we've seen him, we've touched him. We know he's real. And, and, and Jesus, we're going to see later on in chapter 1 as Pastor Dave delivers the message next week from that. Then in verse 14 it says this, And the Word became what? Flesh. Flesh and dwelt among us. Yeah. So we're going to see the humanity of Jesus as well. But what I want us to focus on today is that Jesus is eternal. But it doesn't just stop there. John poetically goes on to really do a retelling of Genesis chapter 1. If you remember Genesis chapter 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Here we see the true creation of it all. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we're going to see in verse 3 that it's through Jesus, it's through the Word, that all things were created. And nothing that was created uh, was created other than the things that were created by Jesus. Jesus is the Creator. And so the second thing I want us to walk away with, first being Jesus as eternal, second being Jesus as the Creator. Jesus is the Creator of all of this. Jesus was involved there at creation, and all things were created for him. He is the king. He is the ruler of all. So I want to encourage you this morning. If you ever think you're not worthy, if you ever think you're not worth it, if you ever think that you're a waste 
know this, Jesus created you, and he has a plan and a specific purpose for your life, and he loves you, he formed and fashioned you, and he wants to get to know you. So if you're ever feeling like you're not worth it, turn to Jesus, because Jesus reveals to us our worth, our value, and who we are as right. him. So I want to encourage you guys with that this morning. And then the last thing that I want us to look at as, as one of our takeaways is this. Jesus as illuminating. Jesus is the light of the world. We're going to see later on that the light uh, is, is shining in the darkness. The darkness doesn't comprehend it. But to those who do comprehend it, he's called and, and he's made us uh, children of God. Uh, so we have Jesus as being this illuminating uh, eternal creator. He's the light of the world. He is the word. He is the Logos. And so I told you at, at the very beginning of this uh, that we, we were going to look and we were going to touch on just a few other things about uh, revelation versus information. Uh, I've given you a lot of information this morning. Uh, lots of information that some of you will take and you might use it at a trivia night sometime. I don't know. Uh, but for, for a lot of us, a lot of this information, we're just going to file it and we're not going to use it again. Uh, and that's okay. Um, but what I want us to really take away is the revelation. Uh, and the revelation part from the Lord is that John, uh, John is not just some historical figure. Uh, John is not just some writer of a historical document. Uh, John was someone who knew uh, the risen Lord. Uh, he walked and did ministry with Jesus. Uh, and we have a first-hand account, an eyewitness account from John about the life of Jesus. So the reason why we set the stage with who was John is so we can really begin to understand his approach to telling us the story of Jesus. Because though we believe scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit and it is God's word, God uses mankind. And God uses our own individual personalities, or not our own, but the writers of scripture's own individual personalities to get the story across. And John is going to give us a very intimate relationship with Jesus. And so we're going to be able to see some of the things that the other disciples didn't see. John was a part of the inner circle. It wasn't just information for John. There was revelation for John. John was a part of the inner circle, the three who spent the most time with Jesus, James, Peter, and John. So John got to see some things about Jesus that the others didn't. And John's going to reveal to us some stories that the others didn't. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're the synoptic gospels. John is this outlier who tells us a different approach. It tells us a different view of Jesus. And so I want to just encourage you, as we spend the next however many months we're going through the book of John, which is going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot because we're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're going to dive into this and, and really see what John tells us about Jesus. But I want to encourage you, uh, you're, you're going to hear information. Uh, but this information is not just information. This information is revelation from the Lord. Uh, and I pray, and it's, it's my prayer, it's Pastor Dennis's prayer, it's Pastor Dave's prayer, it's our elders' prayer, that this revelation doesn't just stop at, ooh, it's revealed. But we want this revelation to be transformational in our life. We want to be transformed by the power of God's word. And so maybe you're sitting here today uh, and, and you didn't realize that Jesus was eternal. Maybe you didn't realize that Jesus was the creator or that he was the light of the world. This is real transformational revelation from God. And so I want to encourage you guys that as we begin to look at John over the next couple weeks, uh, there are three things that we're going to see uh, in the aspects of the life of Jesus that, that, that uh, transcend all of John's gospel. And we're going to be introduced to the life of Jesus, the light of Jesus, and the love of Jesus. Jesus brought us life. Jesus shined light in the darkness. 
And Jesus is the greatest love that we can ever experience. And John's gospel gives us just a glimpse at that love in one of the most famous, if not the most famous verses there has ever been in Christianity. And it is this, John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the reason John wrote this. That's the reason we give the history of it, is so that we may know that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he gives life, and in him is life to the fullest. So I just want to encourage you guys with that. I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way back up this morning. Uh, as we're going to close this morning's service in a time of worship. Um, but I'd like you to pray with me uh, as, as we're doing this introduction. We're really setting the stage. Uh, and, and in the weeks to come, we're really going to dive in. We're going to learn uh, just the nature of Jesus, who he is, what he has for our lives. Uh, and it's important for us, I think, to really understand where John is coming from so that we can get in the framework, so that we can sit back, and so we can attempt to look through John's eyes and see who Jesus is. Uh, as, as he loves us. So would you pray with me? Dear God, we just thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that your word is true. Uh, God, and that, that you, by the Holy Spirit, uh, God, you penned these, these words for us. God, these words are more than just information, but they are a direct revelation of who you are, what your nature is, and what your plan is for us. So God, we pray that in the next couple months, the next year, God, as we spend some time looking through the book of John, uh, God, we pray that you would transform us. God, that we would, each week we'd come in and we'd leave different. And that, God, we would grow and that we would continue to grow as you begin to speak to us, as you begin to reveal your truth through your word. So, God, we thank you that you gifted and that you uh, inspired men like John, men like James and Peter and Paul and all the writers of Scripture. God, that you revealed yourself to them, that you spent time with them, that they got to know you in, in, in a deep and a personal way. And then, God, you inspired them to write those deep and personal relationships so that we could then experience them today. God, your word tells us that there was so much that you did that isn't contained in this book. And that if there was it contained in this book, there wouldn't be enough paper in the planet to contain all that you did. God, we want to know you in your fullness. And so, God, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, begin to reveal your truth. Not our idea of truth, not our culture's idea or our society's idea of truth, but, God, that you would reveal your truth, which is the only truth. And it is that you are the truth, you are the way, and you are the life. And no man comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. And so, God, we just pray that this morning, as we begin to get a glimpse of who Jesus is, God, we fall deeper in love with you as we realize how much you love us. So, God, we pray these things. We believe these things. And you're such wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.